been a really nice week in Dallas. Highs in the 70s, lots of sunshine. And of course, the Cowboys signed Dak, so all is once again right with the world. The voice of the Cowboys, the legendary Brad Sham, will join us at the end of the pod to talk about QB1 and what Brad's been downloading this week. But before we get to Brad, how do you go from being a young female volleyball and basketball prodigy in San Antonio to become one of the most well-liked and respected leaders in college football? Andrea Williams, the Chief Operating Officer of the College Football Playoff, will join us to talk about her journey. Then, the Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup to Dallas in 2026. If that happens, the ongoing legacy of the Dallas Cup will have helped pave the way big time. The Dallas Cup is the most prestigious youth soccer tournament in the country and among the most competitive in the world. The Dallas Cup's Andy Swift and Gordon Jago will join us to talk about the history of the tournament including when teenagers David Beckham and Akeem Olajuwon played in it. So let's drop the needle and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop Podcast. I'm Kevin Sullivan, joined by my co-host, Monica Paul, the Executive Director of the Dallas Sports Commission, and as always, joined by our next level intern, Marcus Carr. Monica, a couple of sports commission topics I'd like to uh, hit you with right off the top. We're going to be talking uh, talking World Cup with the Dallas Cup guys here in a little bit. But I wanted to rewind to something you mentioned last week. You, you talked about working on a human rights plan as part of the bid. What, what's that all about? And why does the World Cup require it? Yeah, it's a big uh, opportunity for us, Kevin. Um, FIFA requires World Cup plan or a human rights plan really to show what opportunities exist here in Dallas to make uh, our world a better place for our residents, for the citizens, for the fans coming in. Uh, you're talking everything from housing rights to uh, worker rights, migrant rights, LGBTQ plus rights, disability, safety and security. Um, you know, what type of experience, not just about, you know, going to a game and seeing that, but what type of experience are the fans, uh, the children who, who live here um, or come in to see games, um, you know, any type of discrimination that may occur, you know, how will, how will they be welcomed here? So we're working with a lot of uh, different organizations, a lot of city officials, city departments, um, from human trafficking, sex trafficking, uh, DFW airport, uh, all of our airports, the airlines, uh, to really establish a plan of here's the opportunity. We have a runway, five, five years, before we'll hopefully be hosting a World Cup in 2026. So what are some initi initiatives and activations that we can put into place to really move that needle? And uh, at the end of the day, another legacy opportunity for, for Dallas and World Cup of leaving our city, uh, our venues, um, different other different infrastructure and policies in place to make Dallas a even better place to live than it already is. Yeah, it sounds like it's more than just assessing where we are now, but it would be using World Cup to improve human rights in North Texas by, by virtue of having had, you know, that that event here. Is, is that the idea? Yes, absolutely. And not only in a, in a city or a county uh, standpoint, but, you know, from entire state of Texas. So FIFA is asking not just Dallas and Houston, who are the two Texas cities bidding for World Cup, but for all cities to really take a look at where are some deficiencies, where are some room for improvement. And, uh, you know, you know, it may be required changing some uh, legislation and at the state mm -hmm. level to 
really paved the way. And uh, a lot of these topics are topics that we talk about every day, uh, and a lot of people don't think of that and how it can be beneficial or improved through a World Cup or a major sporting event. FIFA's not the only one who, who looks at human rights and, and other things. You know, you have the NFL, the NBA, um, NCAA looks at, at these things as well when they're trying to select a, a host city. So really taking this seriously, our, our plan is due to FIFA in, at the end of June. So uh, it's been some really, really positive eye-opening things actually too uh, that you may not think about uh, or even know of some challenges that we have here in Dallas. So looking to move the needle and uh, make a positive impact. Well, more to come on that. And uh, another bit of news this week, we have some movement on uh, more spectators returning to, to venues. The AT&T Byron Nelson, of course, the PGA Tour stop uh, here in Dallas announced earlier this week that it would be allowing 10,000 fans per day on the course uh, when it returns in May. And the Rangers just announced they'd be fully opening Globe Life Field in accordance with the governor's executive order and with some extra health protocols in place like mandatory mask wearing and uh, socially distanced seating in the outfield after opening day and some other measures in place. Uh, and the Rangers, you know, it's also worth noting, I think they've got a big concert coming up on July 24th. It's a reschedule of one that got canceled by the pandemic. Uh, Green Day, Fallout Boy and Weezer on a big, on a big uh, bill July 24th at Globe Life Field. So that that seems to open the day, open the door signal uh, that large scale concerts might be returning. What how how does that fit into to your work, you know, dealing so closely with the hospitality and entertainment sector here in North Texas? Well, certainly I I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. I, it's our hotel community, small businesses, restaurants have been really devastated over this last year. You hear about hotels closing, you hear about restaurants that have closed. Um, to slowly, you know, and still, we know we know that COVID is still out there. We know that we need to do it uh, in the in the right way. So even though they're opening possibly to you know 100%, but still honoring masks and and some social distancing and you know safety protocols is important. Uh, but it means hope. Uh, quite honestly, it means an avenue for not only these professional leagues to be able to play uh, and and people to get back to see venues or see concerts in person uh, but it means hope for other events to be able to get off the ground as well so um, it means hotels and restaurants who had to let people go or, or furlough them will be able to um, you know bring them back and uh, they'll they'll be able to make money and uh, increase uh, you know jobs that are here locally and slowly but surely hopefully Dallas can get back to uh, pre-COVID days and, and and climb out of of this past year. Yeah, hope hope is a good way to put it. Let's 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 see how that all rolls out. Our mic drop moment of the week is really an easy one this week. It's Dak's four-year, one hundred and sixty million dollar contract. One hundred and twenty million dollars of that guaranteed, uh, which obviously is a monster number. We'll get more into that with Brad Sham uh, later in the program. Uh, but here, I wanted something I wanted to ask you, Monica. I remember our old pal Kevin McCarthy years ago on KLIF Radio saying. Life in Dallas is just better when the Cowboys are good, when the Cowboys are winning. What, how much does it help, you know, on the business front uh, and everything in Dallas when the Cowboys are good and going to the playoffs and fingers crossed uh, one day back to the Super Bowl? Well, I think it's uh, the excitement factor of everybody always talking about, okay, the Cowboys, we have a chance. Uh, we know that um, when our teams are good here locally, Cowboys, you know, Mavs, Stars, the Rangers – 
uh, it increases, you know, helps out the economy. People, you know, spend more, uh, buy more jerseys, uh, apparel, that sort of thing. Um, I think it, you know, you see more banter, you see more collaboration, you see jerseys around town. Um, it gives somebody, gives something, somebody hope still at the end of the day of, okay, man, maybe it's our turn to win that championship. Um, and even banter with, you know, others from other cities that are really trying to think that their team is number one as well. So um, anytime any of our uh, teams can be at the top um, vying for a championship, it's, it's a good thing. Brings everybody yeah, together. It. Yeah, it adds a little pep in the step, a little more energy around town, yep. a little bit more excitement. And, you know, we saw it with the Stars going to the Stanley Cup final last year. But imagine with the pent up demand, with people craving to come back together, what it could be like uh, for all, all of the all of the teams in North Texas uh, coming out of the pandemic to be able to, you know, go deep in, with a playoff run would be would be pretty amazing. And, and I think special, you know, more than any other year. Uh, before one, one bit of mic drop moment unfinished business was last week we were talking about the spelling bee and how well Dallas area kids have done in the national spelling bee and you sprung a word on me it might I might call it an ambush but you asked me you challenged me to spell the word pendulock which I had never heard before and I completely whiffed on it and I just want to double back and 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 and, and say not only do I now know how to spell it p-e-n-d-e-l-o-q-u-e pendulock but I know what it means. It's a pear-shaped pendant. So there you go. Let's kick it over to Rachel uh, with a word from one of our sponsors. Hey, are you tired of nights in binge watching your spouse's or quarantine partner's favorite shows or waiting for the delivery service to bring you a lukewarm meal? Let's bring hot dogs and cold brews back. How? Hockey is back. That's right. Your Dallas Stars. Remember them? Western Conference champs last year? Well, they're back and they're bringing the heat to the AAC ice while on their quest to bring the Stanley Cup back to Dallas. And the best part, fans are welcome. Yep, dreams come true. So visit DallasStars.com today for all the best ticket deals and schedule information. Thanks, Rachel, and go Stars. The college football playoff national championship is the second most watched annual event in the country, trailing only the Super Bowl. The CFP, like so many things, uh, in the sports world is based here in Dallas, Irving to be precise. This is where the professional staff that plans and executes the game is headquartered. It's also where the selection committee meets each week to rank the best teams. We're happy to be joined by CFP Chief Operating Officer Andrea Williams. We love bringing guests on the mic drop who have had an amazing career and can talk about their journey and she certainly uh, fits the bill there. Andrea is one of only a, ha a handful of women who have lettered in two sports at Texas A&M. She started on the Aggies volleyball team and played on the women's basketball team that went to the Sweet 16 in 1994. Uh, Andrea, we're muting Monica's mic oh. right now. We don't want to get into any UT A&M uh, uh, dust-ups uh, at, this, at this point. Uh, so we'll deal with that in a minute. After Andrea's playing career, she spent 16 years with the Big Ten Conference. Boiler up and two years as the Big Sky Commissioner before joining the college football playoff as COO in 2018. Last year, she was honored as a member of the SEC Women Legends class. That is a big deal. College football playoff COO, Andrea Williams, welcome to the mic drop. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Kevin and Monica. Thank you so much for having me. What a career you've had. And, and now you have a dream job you know, running the CFP in the in the in the championship game, 
yet growing up in San Antonio, you wanted to be a news anchor. What, what changed? Take us through your journey. Well, I'll have to take a step back. You know, the college football playoff, which is headquartered right here in Dallas, Texas, we have just tremendous leaders uh, from our presidents um, on campus to our commissioners across the FBS. Um, we are just certainly so fortunate uh, to have their leadership and obviously Bill Hancock, who's been our executive director since day one. So we really do live a charmed life. Uh, but yeah, um, San Antonio, Texas, I tell people I claim it as my home. My dad's retired military, so we moved around a lot. But that's, uh, I ended up uh, going to high school in San Antonio, and that's where my parents retired. So I like to claim San Antonio growing up. Um, I just had wonderful role models who were on television and on the news. And so in my mind, that is what I aspired to be. And so in my early years um, of my profession and pursuing a career really was in journalism and television. Um, I learned very quickly that perhaps I should um, divert my attention to the administrative side of sports, uh, but that was certainly my first love was television. I know I don't I can't imagine anything could have prepared you to to lead uh, along with Bill lead the CFP through the the pandemic but take us through what how hard that was what some of the with all the uncertainty and the challenges what that what that was like to, to finally get to get get to where it all came together you know I think all of us recognize how lucky we are the fact that we are in March of 2021, almost a year to the day in terms of you know, our country shutting down and responding to a, a global pandemic. Um, when it first happened, none of us could have imagined what it was going to mean for our livelihoods, um, as well as for the industry of sports specifically for us. And I think you know, we were fortunate to where we were already had the opportunity to work remotely. So with all of our travel and being on the road, we were equipped to working remotely very quickly, even though there wasn't necessarily a roadmap to how do you navigate um, working from home during um, a pandemic. The other thing in terms of just postseason and return to competition, again, we were the beneficiaries of everyone who came before us. So we were keeping an eye on what the NFL was doing, what the NBA was doing, what the NCAA was doing. And so it really was learning the best practices um, from our institutions and conferences and other sport organizations to figure out, you know, how do they return to competition during a pandemic, but not just that, but creating a safe environment for folks to be able to participate, interact, and even attend games. And so we really did reach out to our counterparts across the country to learn from them in terms of, you know, how do we manage this? And because we know how um, just deadly COVID-19 was and how much it just impacted all of us, the fact that we were able to have fall sports, the fact that we were able to have a, a postseason um, and have a college football playoff was just sheer, um, just being fortunate and being blessed. Was there ever a point where you thought it might not happen? I don't think any of us have excelled, um, excelled yet. <laughs> um, I think, you know, even going into 2021 right now, you know, there's still uncertainty about what the rest of this year looks like. Um, going into the fall of next year. But I think what we learned from um, athletics and the sport industry is that, you know, we remain positive, we remain optimistic. And if nothing else, the global pandemic taught us that 
we can be flexible, we need to be nimble, um, and certainly patient um, through all of it. So Andrea, I think a lot of people, you know, go to major events, obviously can't wait to get back into into the stands and see something in person. Um, but they see like that week of the events. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff that goes into it. We're well aware on our side. Um, what does a typical day or week look like, especially this far out from the next playoff? So you know, what are you working on or what are your team working on at this point? Yeah, Monica, I love that question because so many folks out there who perhaps aren't as familiar with the sport industry uh, ask, you know, hey, their championship games on one day. What else are you doing the rest of the year? But as you are very familiar with, um, we talk about the championship season and creating a memorable um, sporting event, not only for our participants, but for our patrons. It takes a lot of work. And I will tell you the college football playoff, the staff that we have there and the team that we have assembled, um, they are first class and just phenomenal at what they do. And so we are already looking out to 2024. Uh, this year, we go to Indianapolis, followed by Los Angeles, and then to Houston. And the fact that I've been on staff for two and a half years, and all of those sites were already um, decided by the time that I joined the CFP. And so it's so important for us to be able to look ahead, secure cities, um, ensure that we have a location um, to take our championship game. And there's a lot that goes with it. And, and not just for our staff, but for the local community. Uh, typically, cities put together a host committee um, that really does carry the burden for us there locally, but we are in lockstep with the stadium as well as local CVBs, and so it really does take a village um, over a long period of time to be able to uh, put on a, a championship game. Well, I think you just walked right into my next question, because here at the Sports Commission, we... we uh, work with our community partners to put on bids. Obviously, we host the inaugural CFP in 2015, so I had the opportunity to work with a, a lot of your teammates that are, were still, that are still there from 2015. Um, and I know you have the bid process. Uh, what, do you, what are other things that you look for in bid cities? When, uh, you know, obviously we know we have to have a stadium. AT&T Stadium is where, where that takes place. Uh, and it's interesting to me right now, I frame it because you know, we're bidding on FIFA World Cup uh, uh, as well. So just getting your perspective of hosting major events in other, other cities, what do you look for? Well, absolutely. Uh, the inaugural event in Dallas, uh, you guys set the bar very high. Uh, for the college football playoff, it was important to um, bring the championship game to different regions of the country. And so one of the priorities for the college football playoff um, was to take the game to 10 different cities in the first 10 years. And we've been able to accomplish that. And I will tell you, we've been so fortunate with our local partners in all of those host cities in terms of their professionalism, their experience, and really truly supporting um, a postseason bowl experience. And so we've been very fortunate, but you're right. Uh, when you talk about uh, what we're looking for, we're looking for first-class stadiums, um, a location where not only our teams, but our fans can get to easily. Uh, hotels are, are, are significant in terms of our selection, but, and, and you mentioned it, Monica, it's more than just a game. We have a championship weekend, almost a spectacle um, in terms of fan experience. We have a number of public events that we provide 
uh, through our fan fest, through our concert series, 5K. Uh, we even have a taste of the championship. Um, so it even goes beyond just the game, but, but creating an experience that our fans have um, come to enjoy when they go to a college football playoff. Well, uh, you know, we, we mentioned 2015, and I've got my calendar here, Andrea. Um, you said you're through 2024, so you just let me know what date, 2025 and beyond, that we can just go ahead and pencil that CFP National Championship and that entire uh, weekend, uh, week worth of festivities in, and we'll get that paperwork over to your office pretty quick. Um, I love how you put that in, Monica. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't, uh, you know, not. So, um you know, CFP home here in Dallas, um, how does it benefit, how does CFP benefit from being here in Dallas? Um, a lot of other uh, athletic conferences and uh, obviously universities here and corporations. So just give us a thought on that. You know, Dallas is an incredible city. I tell people all the time, if you're here, you want for nothing because it has everything. Uh, the fact that we are in the middle um, of the country certainly is a benefit to us as we um, travel a lot and get out to our different respective sites, as well as um, our conference offices that we have relationships with. Um, but Dallas is special, you know, across the board from um, the college institutions that are here, the pro sports, the semi-sports that we have here. Obviously, we have the Sports Commission um, but we are a great company. You know, the college football playoff is right across the street from the Big 12 Conference. Conference USA is right down the street. Uh, the American just moved into our building. The National Football Foundation is our neighbor. So it's really a great hub for sports. And whether you work in athletics or you're just a big sports fan, um, Dallas really is a, a wonderful place to be and to visit, um, to really, uh, to, to just check all the boxes that you may have. Well, Andrea, even though you are an Aggie, um, which I'm, I've got to talk to this Tony Faye PR team about, uh, how we got an Aggie on here, but you know what? I think at the end of the day, thumbs up, you're, you're a good Aggie. So I, I'm, I'm glad you joined us today. But we do have the Women's Final Four coming in 2023. We're always looking for ambassadors uh, here locally to help. Um, you, you may get a call of us reaching out to see uh, if you'd like to be involved in some, some way. Well, thank you for that. I'd love to serve. Before we let you go, Andrea, you mentioned Bill Hancock earlier. He's a friend of the Mike Drop team, uh, a gem of a person in addition to being a, 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 great, a great leader. And you also worked for Jim Delaney for many years at the at the Big uh, Big Ten Conference, another uh, esteemed leader in in intercollegiate athletics and sports in general. What um, what did what did you what have you learned from each of them? And maybe some things that helped you get through 2020. But talk a little bit about uh, about about those two great leaders that you've been associated with. Absolutely, and a fun story. Kevin and Monica is the fact that, you know, I used to work with Bill at the NCAA. So he and I actually had an opportunity to be in the same place and safe space back in 2004 in Indianapolis. And so I think part of uh, my opportunity to be with the CFP was probably the opportunity uh, that he and I shared many years ago. But I would say the first thing that comes to mind when I think about Bill and Jim is the people. Uh, both of them, their priorities have always been to staff with 
outstanding people who are great leaders who can do their jobs well. And so they truly have led the way in terms of identifying great and capable talent um, and putting them in places to succeed. And so I would say though that's probably the number one thing that, that comes to mind. And I would say also just their passion, their passion for athletics, for sports, for those individuals who we are serving, you know, we are trying to create um, memorable experiences for student athletes and their experience is paramount to us. And so they are always putting the student athlete at the forefront of their decisions um, and how they operate. And so those are kind of the, the two things that jump immediately to mind um, when I think about Bill and Jim. Well, one thing that immediately jumped to my mind listening to you is part of your leadership style is clearly, clearly giving credit to others. Hey, you know, it's all a team effort. We know none of us would be where we are had it not been others there to, to help and support us. So we all know. <laughs> well, congratulations to Bill Hancock, by the way, on being named part of the 2021 Sports Business Journal Champions Class, which is kind of like your SEC Legends Award. That's a, a, a you know, when you start getting those Lifetime Achievement Awards, you know, the, the calendar pages are turning a little bit, but it's still incredibly meaningful. Congratulations to you on that as well. And best of luck to you and your continued work at the college football playoff. And really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, thanks, thanks for being here, Andrea. Now over to Rachel with a message from one of our sponsors. It's Rachel again. Hey guys, did snowpocalypse get you down and ruin your Valentine's Day? Here's a tip. Your relationship doesn't have snow days. You may have forgotten Valentine's Day, but trust me, Valentine's Day hasn't forgotten about you. And even more to the point, she hasn't forgotten that you forgot. So before you make up for your wayward behavior with $50 of Easter peeps stuffed into a handcrafted heart-shaped box you made from construction paper, empty beer boxes, and Gorilla Glue, woof, try giving her something she really wants this year. Give her a big O-ring. These handy and stylish key rings have been featured on Oprah, Good Morning America, The Today Show, and The View. They're everywhere. Women love these, and they'll love you for gifting them one. Go to oventure.com and order yours today. The O-rings, giving women an extra hand. Love is real. Now back to Monica and Sully. Thanks, Rachel. Since its beginning in 1980, the Dallas Cup has earned its place as the most prestigious youth soccer tournament in the United States. And it's widely regarded as among the most competitive in the world, with 900 international players competing in multiple age groups. Now we're thrilled to be joined by Dallas Cup Executive Director Andy Swift. We mentioned Olajuwon and Beckham played in, in the Dallas Cup. Well, so did Wayne Rooney, Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan, and Andy Swift. Now, he may not have become as famous as those other guys on the pitch, but he has forged an impressive career in the world of sports business. It's a treat also to be joined by Dallas Cup Ambassador and Consultant Gordon Jago. I, I first came to know Gordon in the 1980s when he signed on as the inaugural head coach of the Dallas Sidekicks in the old major indoor soccer league. He added instant credibility to that league as an important figure on the international scene, the former head coach and manager of the Queens Park Rangers. That, that was pretty cool to have him uh, start up the sidekicks. He's also a terrific person and a real gentleman as well. Andy and Gordon, thanks so much for joining Monica and me on the mic drop. Thank you for having Thank us Thank you, on. Kevin. Appreciate it. Well, Andy, uh, this is uh, Monica. Really excited to be here. Really excited that uh, we have a Dallas Cup happening this year. Want to talk a little bit about how the Dallas Cup has grown the popularity of soccer in the Dallas area and even Texas as a whole? 
Yeah, well, uh, um, as you know, uh, this would this will be our 42nd edition of the Dallas Cup. The first one uh, took place in 1980. Uh, and for a while, um, the only outdoor soccer of, of uh, any kind of uh, high level that was being played in this area, because the, uh, the old North American Soccer League uh, went, uh, went bust in the early 80s, uh, and the only outdoor soccer that could be seen at a high level live here in Dallas uh, in the North Texas area was the Dallas Cup. And so uh, by bringing high quality teams from abroad, these professional academy teams from abroad to play in Dallas, uh, I think it kept kind of that that uh, fire alive for, for the popularity of the sport in the North Texas area. Of course, Gordon and his sidekicks were doing uh, incredible things in the indoor arena. They helped keep soccer alive really um, while Major League Soccer started in 96 and between the and old MASL and, and Major League Soccer, there was that dearth of outdoor soccer. But uh, if it wasn't for the sidekicks, uh, soccer probably would have taken a different, uh, a, a different road uh, in the North Texas area. So uh, I always tell people it's the Dallas Cup and the Dallas sidekicks both uh, kept soccer alive uh, during the 80s and, and the early 90s until uh, Major League Soccer got going. Well, it's very it's very uh, inspiring uh, to see the growth of soccer t- today, and you know I know we're going to talk about some of the projects that we're working on and the importance of 2026. But Gordon, uh, many may not realize that the Dallas Cup is an invitation only tournament. Several of the world's most prestigious clubs clubs have participated in the Dallas Club, uh, Dallas Cup: Manchester United, Real Madrid, Barcelona. The list goes on and on. Gordon, how do you go about selecting which teams to invite? I know it's very simple. I, I bet you're going to say it's very simple, Monica. <laughs> it's uh, They receive a phone call, and I say, is Gordon Jago? And everybody says yes to Gordon Jago. Uh, you know, you're a legend here. But give our listeners a perspective on how do we get these uh, top-level teams. Well, as Andy said, and, and Kevin also added to it, um, the tournament has built such a great reputation throughout the world of soccer. Um, and because of that reputation, and it's been done by, as Andy said, over 40 years. And the 2,000 volunteers that come in every year to help make it happen, uh, it's just incredible. And what has happened, it's become a very elite tournament. You cannot just get in. It is by invitation. And so we'll take in about, I think, 240 teams, uh, boys teams at the moment. We'll have over 400 applications that will come in. So there's a, a very um, well-organized sifting process. We have, like, for example, very quickly, Southern California, a real hotbed of USA youth soccer. And we'll probably have seven or eight teams at every age group apply from Southern California. But we didn't take all seven or eight because they'd be playing each other. And they'd say, well, why do we go and spend money all the way to Dallas when we're playing teams from our own local area? But what we have is a group of coaches, it's four in fact, spread throughout the Southern California area. And we send a list to each of those. And they then give their recommendation of listing them one through eight or one through seven. And that gives us a guidance of who are the better teams 
in that age group that have applied. And we'll probably take three. Now, it doesn't, it's not foolproof, um, but, um, you know, we, we've been very fortunate. And then we are around the world, of course, and Andy uh, does a lot of this as well as myself. We're in touch with the big clubs, um, the Manchester Uniteds, the uh, Real Madrids, the Barcelonas. And when we can get their um, top under-18 team from their academy to come, then that is a real bonus for us. Because the first question I get asked from an American team when they receive notice of, uh, of their acceptance who is in our bracket? They want to play a foreign team. They want to play a name team um, because that's their opportunity. And, and Andy will tell you, I think uh, last year then we had to cancel, unfortunately. Every group of four in every boys' age bracket had at least one international from team from overseas. And that's what's happened. The reputation of the Dallas Cup is now so high that everybody wants to be in the tournament. And we're, as I say, we're very selective. Now, it doesn't mean we don't make a mistake. I think it was one year we accepted a team from India, and unfortunately, they, they weren't in the same class. Um, and it, was, it wasn't too pleasant for everybody. But generally speaking, uh, the way we do it, uh, we're very fortunate it works. Well, Gordon, you lead right into my next question for Andy. Um, Andy, about this time last year, you were speaking to my SMU class. We discussed the effects of COVID uh, on the Dallas Cup, our predict predictions of when we were maybe getting out of COVID, and boy, were we wrong. Uh, <laughs> the, the cancellation of Dallas Cup for 2020, how important is it for, for you to have this tournament this year, and what may we see differently? Yeah, it's extremely important for us as an organization to, to put on uh, a tournament this year, obviously going a whole year uh, without the revenues from the, the last edition, but uh, incurring all the expenses that it takes to, uh, to operate uh, Dallas Cup year round. Uh, we, we need to have some kind of tournament and not just for Dallas Cup, but uh, you know, understand that for uh, most of the, the athletes that compete in the tournament, uh, particularly from the from around the U.S., um, this is an opportunity to be seen by uh, not only professional scouts, but uh, for a majority of them, college scouts. I mean, this is a, a, an avenue uh, to be seen and to get opportunities to uh, showcase their talents uh, that can lead to college scholarships. So, uh, the the ability to put on a tournament, uh, even if it's more national in scope and less international than in years past, was important for these athletes uh, because they uh, the time keeps ticking in their in their in their uh, um, uh, athletic career uh, and in their scholastic uh, timeline. You know they they still uh, move on and and get older and the opportunities um, are are far and few between. Uh, especially over the last year. So we are, uh, we feel it's important for us uh, to put on this tournament for, and, and for their cause as well, so that uh, they don't lose the opportunity, especially those that are uh, older and, and about to not have any more chances to play in tournaments like this anymore. Gordon, it's really great to uh, talk to you. It's again, it's been a long time. You, um, you know, we all know that the, the incredible and the impactful role that Lamar Hunt played in bringing the Dallas Tornado uh, into existence in 1967. It was really, a, if not the, 
the preeminent franchise of the North American Soccer League. It was certainly one of them. Played 15 seasons, the longest of anyone. You coached against them with the Tampa Bay Rowdies, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then, yes. you know, when when the when the when the torna- when the tornadoes went away, uh, there was a long gap, and, and you filled that gap before the Dallas Burn, now FC Dallas, came into existence in '96. And when you think, how do you? How do you feel about that now when you, I know you're a humble person, but you really did, Andy referenced it. You really did bridge the gap between those early grassroots days of Dallas exploding with soccer and Kyle Rowe Jr. was one of the best players in the league played here. Uh, what was that period like? And were you aware of that when you arrived here with the, with the sidekicks in 1984? Oh, yes. Um, I was very fortunate. I came across to the United States for the first time when I was the coach at Fulham football club in England, first division team. And we went to San Francisco to play Honved from uh, Hungary as a part of the start of the North American Soccer League Outdoor League way back in 1968. And that's when I first met Lamar. And Lamar was the man behind that push then to have soccer. And um, he, uh, throughout his whole life, he was an unbelievable supporter. And when the new MF MLS came to be, it was difficult. And he took three teams, uh, Columbus, Kansas, and Dallas, and financed three teams um, in those early days, as Andy said. But they were, it was very difficult to sell the game. And um, eventually, the North American Soccer League at that time took a, a leave of absence. Uh, there wasn't enough teams. And, of course, the indoor was that that time making progress. And um, when I got the offer from Mr. Carter, the owner of the Mavericks, to come and take it to soccer team, the Dallas sidekicks that he acquired, um, I was hesitant because I didn't think indoor soccer was really for me. We played a little bit um, in Dallas, in Tampa, sorry, with Rowdies. But anyway, cut a long story short, Mr. Carter was insistent and a wonderful man. And um, we started the Dallas sidekicks. And it was a really hard push at that time. Um, in that first season, we went uh, 12 and 36, and we were drawing about 1,700 people to the games at Reunion Arena. It really was a hard slog and a hard sale. But thanks to the players um, going out to the community, we did a tremendous amount of personal appearances and soccer camps for the kids, soccer tournaments, six-side tournaments, and that was the key. We kind of built an audience, and then we improved the team because it was we were all new, myself included, into indoor. And anyway, keep it short, but we, in the third, second season, I think we went 24-24. In the third season, we won the championship. And so that was incredible because we were drawing 16,800 people at the arena for the outside kids. And, that, and at the same time, all the work that the Tornado has done with Ron Newman and Co. in the youth soccer market, starting the youth soccer league, we worked our battle with them. And we built that audience from those kids and their parents. And it was a fascinating period of time because, as I said, you know, we were hanging on for grim death at times, you know, financially as well. And we had changed ownerships during that time. And Mr. Carter stayed with us for two years. But in the third year when we won it, we had, I think, 24 owners led by three people, Jan Rogers, Jim Graham, and Stan Finney. 
but um, it really was. But it was it was a fascinating time because we were out and about everywhere. I went all over the Texas to the six aside tournaments that we ran. We ran uh, uh, camps for the kids, and the players they got to work with the kids. The kids got to know them. So when they went to the reunion arena, and because that was part of the deal, if you attended a soccer camp, you got a couple of free tickets. Um, and they uh, they knew the players. They knew who who they were. They they weren't only watching them play on the in the arena court. They knew them because they'd seen them at the camps. They knew how they spoke. And the players did an unbelievable job. And I have to say, I've had two groups of people to come in Dallas. The players at the sidekicks, backed up by the ownership, and then of course at the Dallas Cup with the wonderful volunteers. Those all those things come together to put us where we are today. And we've got a very successful franchise with FC Dallas, well-run, well-organized. We have an excellent Dallas Cup, and we have an excellent Classic League for the young boys and girls of soccer. So soccer at the moment, in my humble opinion, here in Dallas, is on a very steady uh, position, and it's very popular. And um, as I say, that's what makes... I mean, for us to get 400 teams applying, and Andy will probably tell you this year we probably have more teams from the United States apply than ever because of the problems of the virus. You mentioned the 1987 Sidekicks Championship team. I would encourage any young people out there, and, and that includes you, Marcus, who, who, who was a soccer fan, who, weren't, who, who, you know, if you weren't around then, go to, go to YouTube and go on Google and Google the, the Never Say Die 1987 Dallas sidekicks with Tattoo and David Doyle and Joe Papaleo and goal. And it was a phenomenal comeback to win the championship in, in Tacoma, if I'm not mistaken, Gordon. You ever, you ever go back and watch those those old, you probably have VH t- tapes in a box somewhere. Do you ever ever relive those those moments? Yeah, well, it's incredible. Two weeks ago, I was in a restaurant up here in North Dallas and a young lady came over and somebody introduced me to her. And she said she had a tape of the highlights of the 1987 final. Anyway, I asked her to send them to me, and she did. And I sent it out to all the players um, who are still in the town. In the town. And it's just incredible. It was a, it was a really, uh, because people don't know, we were losing 3-1 to Tacoma with three minutes to go. It's over. But we pulled out to the goalkeeper like you do in hockey, ice hockey, and we scored two goals in the three minutes to tie it up and make it 3-3. Went into overtime. We put our goalkeeper back in, of course, and it was Sobieski, Chris Sobieski, who's still here. Mm-hmm. And we won. Uh, we scored in the sixth minute of overtime on Mark Carpet to win. It was just incredible. And to this day, Norm Hitzkus tells me it was one of the most exciting games in all the sports that it ever broadcast. It really was an incredible one. As you said, that... Um, the tape, uh, Never Say Die, is the full 30-minute tape of the whole season, which gives that great story because it was a, a great story. We were, we were almost finished at the start of the season. and We had to find new owners, which we did, uh, thanks to Stan Finney and Jan Rogers and Jim Graham, and that kept us in business, and we had the joy at the end of the season. As the underdogs, we were... I mean, Tacoma had far more better players than we had, outstanding players. They had four players who'd scored 40 goals apiece. It was incredible. 
but the manner of the victory, as Kevin said, um, if you have a chance to see that tape, it's an incredible 30 minutes um, of the history of the scientific. And Andy, and if I may interrupt, I, I was yeah. a, a teenage kid during that time, and uh, I was among the 1700 in those early days of the psychics that Gordon mentioned, and I was a part of those 16 and 17,000 that went to that uh, to the games during the playoff run in 87. But I remember that night watching the game on HSC, uh, like arguing with my parents that I needed to stay up late because it was a late, late game. Uh, and to this day, you know, that that's one of those memories that I'll never forget as a young soccer player. And it just speaks to uh, how important it was that the psychics were here in town to keep uh, the flame of soccer alive during the 80s and between the two outdoor leagues existing uh, in the U.S. So, Andy, let, yeah, let's Andy, get you were you were wrong because you you should not have been up at that late hour. <laughs> it was late, remember, Gordon? It, it, was, it, was, it was called midnight. <laughs> okay, here. I had to but trade him yeah, some favors with my parents. But. Yeah. Well, you had, you had great parents, Andy, if they let you <laughs> stay up and have that memory that you're still talking about all these years yeah, later. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Andy, the uh, let's give Monica an assist here. She is working around the clock to try to bring uh, you know, work on that FIFA bid to bring the World Cup yeah. here and back to Dallas in 2026, which would be a great honor. You know, you worked the World Cup back in 94 on the media relations uh, team. Obviously, you've, you've been around soccer in Dallas your whole life. Uh, what would you, what, how would you make the pitch to FIFA if you were on Monica's team? Um, well, for, first of all, from the perspective of the Dallas Cup, um, the, the, the 94 World Cup played here was uh, a very, very important event for the growth of Dallas Cup. Uh, in, the, in the 80s, uh, the tournament grew in reputation because it was really one of the first international youth tournaments taking place anywhere, anywhere in the world. Uh, but it really got to that next level uh, when it was announced that the U.S. would host the 94 World Cup. Uh, that's when um, the Real Madrids uh, started coming uh, to Dallas because these pro academy teams, the, 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 those coaches and, and, and managers and, and coaching directors that worked uh, for these pro academy teams around the world, suddenly their interest peaked in coming to the U.S. and particularly Dallas, because Dallas was going to be a major hub for, for the FIFA World Cup in 94. It was the broadcast center. Um, and so th there was a lot of buzz about the U.S. Uh, hosting the World Cup and then also Dallas being one of the venues. So that helped elevate uh, the Dallas Cup uh, to another level uh, because we were now attracting uh, more and more high-quality teams from abroad. Obviously, the third stage of our growth was then when Gordon came on as executive director and really opened the doors with the Premier League, uh, widely recognized as the top league in the world, and, and the ability for Gordon to get uh, uh, the, the best Premier League teams to also come to Dallas Cup, that kind of uh, took it to the to the next level. And now, you know, the 2026 World Cup is the opportunity for Dallas Cup to even go to another higher level because uh, the attention uh, that will uh, come our way, uh, if Dallas is a venue, I mean, it's going to come our way just because the U.S. Is, is hosting it. But if Dallas is an important venue, um, then, then it really will benefit uh, Dallas Cup and the growth of soccer here. Um, like uh, no other event since the 94 World Cup. So 
my pitch to FIFA would be that if, uh, you know, if there's an ideal venue uh, in the U.S. Uh, to not only host games, but to host important matches and to be the, the, the broadcast center or the FIFA headquarters, uh, there's really no comparison to Dallas. Um, you, we talk about the oh, airport, and that's well known, and the central location. But to have an international tournament like the Dallas Cup already taking place here now for 40 years and the tradition that we have in soccer, there's really no other venue in the U.S. that compares to Dallas. But may I add, Kevin, the Monica, I mean, Monica did an unbelievable job um, way back there in the World Cup then. And what has happened, and as Andy said, this was not only uh, here for games, we were the broadcast center. Everything came through Dallas, over from Detroit, from New York, from television, radio, and then out to the world. And the FIFA, they know how well the city of Dallas and the, the council and the sports council, what they did for the 1994 World Cup. The standard uh, of work by the, the city um, for all those people who are coming in um, and the broadcast center, people were coming in two months before to prepare for it. It was just incredible. So the reputation that Monica and the group did uh, for the World Cup in 94, there's still a lot of people involved in FIFA who know about it. So I think, you know, if I was on that committee uh, full-time, I would be saying to those people in Switzerland, hey, you know what we did, and we're even better now than we were then in 94, because that's, they have proof. They have a proof that this city can hold a big international competition and do it proud. Well, and I, I would also add a, a, an interesting anecdote related to Dallas Cup back in '94. Um, the because the Dallas Cup already had such a big volunteer base um, when uh, a big volunteer base was needed for the '94 World Cup efforts here in Dallas. Uh, the Dallas Cup provided a large number of uh, those volunteers that were that, that were needed by the Dallas uh, 1994 World Cup team. Uh, so there's already a connection and a history with Dallas Cup and the World Cup um, hosting uh, the event here in Dallas. And uh, you know, hopefully, uh, we'll be able to assist as well in, in the 2026 efforts and lend a hand however we can to make it happen um, here in North Texas as we're part of this community and the community has been tremendous in helping us grow. Uh, and now, you know, it's our opportunity to give back to it as well. Well, Andy and Gordon, I can tell you there's no, hopefully you will be um, uh, involved. <laughs> right. I will be counting on those volunteers. <laughs> you are both part of our bid committee and many other committees. And uh, I have like 20 more questions, um, you know, that I could ask you uh, revolving around what could our legacy be after, you know, for, for soccer and, and for uh, the Dallas area after 2026? I, we could get into human rights plan and diversity, equity, inclusion, and the great programs that you have with the Dallas Cup Homestay Program and Peace Team Initiatives that I think a lot of people, um, you know, don't know about. You've added a, a girls bracket for, for 2021 and, and, you know, why? I, so a lot of questions. I know we're running out of time, but I'm – I've got one additional question, and I'm going to bring our, our our next level intern Marcus in on it. But it has it revolves around 
uh, gaming and uh, the Xbox and uh, eSports. And, you know, you, you've already uh, added a girls bracket in. Um, you know, can we add an eSports or some sort of league for the Dallas Cup and uh, get these teams not only playing on the pitch and uh, but competing uh, online as well, as well? And, Marcus, I'm going to throw it over to you to, to – yeah, Andy and, and Gordon. So I yeah. went to the EMLS um, Series Two Championship at the Soccer Hall of Fame here in Frisco, and it was an experience like I've never I've never seen before. There's just so much excitement around the event. How do you think EMLS and esports has impacted the youth? And like Monica alluded to, like, do you think that is something that could uh, you know grow as 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 time goes on? Yeah, uh, definitely a huge initiative. In fact, it's something that we've been discussing internally for a few years now. We have uh, a Dallas Mavericks um, uh, executive that, who sits on our board, and we've um, gotten guidance from him as well because the Mavericks uh, obviously were involved in the esports initiative uh, themselves. Billy Phillips, by the way, who played for Gordon at the Tornado, uh, sits on our board, and, and he's helped us a little bit with that. Uh, and in fact, these discussions have reached uh, other uh, organizations looking to partner with us uh, with this initiative, like the City Football Group. Uh, they are the ones that own Manchester City Football Club. Uh, we've had discussions with them, as well as with even uh, our apparel partner, um, to put on a tournament that, uh, that runs concurrently uh, with the Dallas Cup, we haven't figured out if it's uh, players that are playing in the tournament and the Dallas Cup itself that would be competing, or we have independent uh, uh, esport players uh, playing in that tournament, but we want to do something like that. It's kind of the future. I know that uh, a lot of um, enthusiasts for the sport uh, get, their, get their knowledge and their enthusiasm for it, for soccer, uh, by playing the, uh, the the game FIFA, uh, and in many ways they're um, <laughs> much more of ex of an expert than I am in terms of world soccer and the players because they play the game. So it's it's uh, going to be an important part of Dallas Cup moving forward. The pandemic obviously uh, changed uh, our plans in the short term and what was important, what initiatives were. We uh, started the girls bracket, like Monica uh, mentioned this year, and that's an extremely important initiative. Gordon has helped tremendously with that. He helped us uh, land a very important sponsor, Mary Kay, uh, to help us get that started this year. Uh, and so that is our focus now, but the discussions have been there and it is very much part of what uh, we wanna do to, to help Dallas uh, Cup grow in future years as the esports initiative for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, and it's covered it, you know, admirably. Uh, the only thing I'd like to mention in that is, of course, that the involvement now with Mary Kay Cosmetics, I mean, they are so supportive um, of this uh, of our girls' program. It couldn't be done at this time if it weren't for Mary Kay Cosmetics. And as I've said to them, I can see, and with all the plans that we have, the cooperation and the support that we're getting from Mary Kay, that in three years' time, the girls' tournament will have over 200 girls' teams here and will be in the league and just as uh, perhaps difficult to get in um, as the boys at this moment. But it's all credit to Dallas and, and many, many. And Monica knows as well because I can remember all the work we were doing in 94 for the World Cup, um, the support that we get from all the groups, the volunteers, 
um, the classic league, I mean, FC Dallas, we're all one big family supporting each other. And that's what's made Dallas, I think, so important in the world of soccer, particularly in uh, the Dallas Cup, because, you know, I worked with until the well, 202 to 214 uh, with the Cup full time. And now I'm, you know, as a consultant. But as I travel around the world negotiating with these big clubs to come, um, I, I get inundated with teams uh, from all countries. The professional clubs all want to come to Dallas. And it's all because of the soccer community of Dallas coming together, making the things happen. And we are, without a doubt, one of the most elite youth soccer tournaments in the world, not only in USA, in the world. And that's that's not an idle boast. That's what Dallas has made the Dallas Cup. Well, thanks for joining us. This has been big fun. Andy Swift and Gordon Jago of the Dallas Cup coming up March 27th through April 4th. And now let's hear one more time from Rachel. Looking to get out of the house in a safe way? Try having a relaxing weekend at the spa or a fun family staycation for spring break. The Omni Dallas Hotel is right in the heart of downtown, within walking distance to some of the area's best restaurants and unique shopping. The Uptown Terrace Infinity Pool is a family-friendly retreat during the day and a great place to watch a romantic sunset over the Dallas skyline at night. Go to omnihotels.com Dallas for the best offers and plan your post-quarantine staycation today. Because why? Big wins happen here. Welcome to my friend Brad Sham, the longtime voice of the Dallas Cowboys. Brad, you know, uh, we've been talking soccer with Andy Swift and Gordon Jago, and Cowboys fans and sports fans in North Texas may not realize you did a stint with the Chicago Sting in the North American Soccer League in the 70s. Well, first of all, uh, nice to see you. Second of all, uh, next time you talk to those guys, uh, give them my best because I did a stint as the PR director of the Chicago Sting in 1975 because, uh, sorry, 1976, because my stint as the PR director of the Denver Dynamos uh, in 1975 ended when they folded after the one season they played. And then uh, I, uh, I start, actually uh, did um, Dallas tornado games in the, in the North American soccer league on the late great WRR AM, which no longer exists. And then I did, I think nine years doing uh, the Dallas burn as they transitioned to FC Dallas, loved every minute of it. In fact, uh, in about an hour, I'm going to go watch uh, Manchester United play in their uh, Europa League round of 16 game. So you're fully on board with uh, Monica's bid to, with FIFA to bring the World Cup back to Dallas in 2026. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, first of all, it's amazing that the World Cup hasn't been here since whenever. But uh, yeah, yeah 94. Gotcha. and I'll tell you, I mean, I remember in uh, what was it, 84? when it was uh when it was there were some games at the cotton bowl and i yeah, 94 i remember going to some of those games had my little credential by myself got on the bus and rode down to the cotton bowl and watched some of those games covered them but the um as you have sully i've had the um the honor and pleasure of seeing many of the great stadia in the world and there's no stadium that i've ever seen that is better suited for a big event than AT&T Stadium. I've, I've said before, it's a great 
it's a great home venue for the Cowboys, but that's not what it's best at. It's best, it is designed for and, and built for huge international events and something like a, a World Cup semifinal or a final is exactly why they built the building. Man, Hasali, I think we just had a mic drop moment here. I don't think I could have summed up uh, a bid any better than what Brad just said. I hope good night, FIFA, everybody. Yep, good night. Yeah, that, I hope FIFA's quote, listening. You're going to end up in the bid package there, Brad, with that testimonial. So, wait, so way me. to go. Tell me when. The, uh, before we get to Dak, uh, I have one other thing. Yeah, when I met you. I'm sorry, a, Dak, I was, Dak who? Yeah. <laughs> I met you as a 21-year-old novice, you know, PR assistant with the Dallas Mavericks. I know the day was June 10th, 1980, because that was the day of the of the NBA draft when the Mavericks took Kiki Vandeway in, which turned out to be okay because Rolando Blackman came out of that deal. But, but when I met you, I didn't know you had been a PR person. I was really intimidated. You had this beard. You were smoking a pipe. You, you know, you had the whole weighty 1080 behind you. It was uh, you were this sort of king of of Dallas media. And uh, it's, it's uh, so nice to, to have you on here 41 years later, almost. And I guess the pandemic robbed us of our 40th anniversary last June. So maybe we can get together uh, soon, but uh, let, let's get to, to Dak. So what, what, uh, what does this mean for the Cowboys? What do you make of all this? Well, in the short term, um, it, it, getting the deal done means they can push money around and add other players. They would not have had salary cap space to do that if they hadn't. But you don't make a deal like that uh, at a position like that if you don't believe in the guy. And um, I, I think that uh, you can make a case if you want that they could. I hate should. Should is one of my very least favorite words in the vocabulary. I think they possibly could have gotten a deal done two years ago. And then you could say, well, they could have saved themselves some money. But um, they were really intent on getting Ezekiel Elliott signed at that time. And um, last year, if you were Todd France, Dak's agent, you wouldn't have let him sign a contract last year. You were looking at uh, a, a year away, the television deals all being redone and, and, and changing the salary cap landscape. And you were on the cusp, <clears throat> excuse me, of uh, Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes uh, reshaping the quarterback uh, framework for quarterback. Why, if you're an agent, why would you let your guy sign before those things happen? So you play on the tag, $31 million. Uh, worst thing that happens actually happened. You get hurt, you still get your $31 million, and, and then look what happened. What, another thing that it means is, <clears throat> I, I think it's important, and I thought both Jerry and Stephen Jones spoke to this at the press conference, Yesterday, you send messages to your whole team based on how you treat key players. So everybody in that locker room, in that building associated with the franchise knows he's more than just a quarterback. Is he the best quarterback in the league? Possibly not. Is he what, top five? Possibly. He's the heartbeat of that team. He is, and I said this on the radio the other day, Sully, and I understand the enormity of what I'm saying, but this will be my 43rd year um, broadcasting their games. And he, there's nobody they've had better than him at all of the intangibles. Now, he may not be the best quarterback they ever had. Leadership, 
respect commanded in the locker room, uh, intensity, competitiveness, character, public demeanor. Nobody's been better than him. If you don't find a way to sign that guy, that sends a real message to the rest of your players. So I think all of those things are what the contract means. Can you get back to the Super Bowl on intangibles? I mean, what, what else do the Cowboys need to do now? No, of course not. You, first of all, he has to be a good enough player. Uh, obviously, you can't get by on uh, intangibles or, or uh, you and I would be uh, really big deals in the world. I mean, you are, but uh, it, you have to be a good player and you have to have the things that are needed mechanically to succeed at the position. So I believe that he's demonstrated that he has those things. Now, since we're not playing tennis, uh, you, you better have some pieces around him. Uh, the vagaries of injury are something that rear their head every year, but offensively, I think they've got a very competitive team. Defensively, they are a train wreck. And so the answer to your question, what do they have to do to get back to the last game of the year? <laughs> they gotta have a defense. They, they've got a lot of work to do, and they know that. That's not, that's not news to them. All right, Brad. Well, this is the portion of our program where we, where we ask, what are you downloading? So it's time. Open up your laptop. You know, we want to see those, that streaming data. I mean, open up my laptop. I'm on my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, so what, what maybe sports-related or maybe not, what are you downloading these days? Well, um, are you talking about uh, streaming, uh, watching things, or listening yeah. to things? Or... Podcast, book, movie, oh, TV oh, show, podcast, you name it. Podcasts. Um, yeah. Um, Malcolm Gladwell has a podcast that's, I think, in its sixth season that I just discovered a year ago called Revisionist History. Yep. And so I have gone back and um, gotten to all of those and I'm working my way back through all I think he's just a genius communicator and there are some uh, I, I like the Daily Beast um, has one that I listen to the New York Times has one called the Daily that's a good 30 minute one catches up on uh, maybe the most important story that's going on I try to listen to that um, wait wait I, some NPR ones wait wait don't mm -hmm. tell me that one gives me a chuckle uh, how about a video what are you what are you watching well, um, I just, I'm a SAG after a voter. So uh, we're now in the period where I'm trying to catch up on some of the performances I haven't seen because voting has got a couple of weeks left. I just watched The Father, which uh, is about to come out. Anthony Hopkins uh, plays a man about the age he really is probably in his 80s. Uh, who is battling advancing dementia. And it's a, it's, um, my mother had some dementia issues before she passed a couple of years ago. So I feel like I've seen it a, a little. It's a powerful, powerful performance. Uh, absolutely loved uh, the Queen's Gambit. Um, still working my way through Ted Lasso. Um, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff like that. Monica, what's your download this week? Oh, well, Sully. Uh, I can't say that it's actually anything sports-related. You know me. I'm a little bit off the wall sometimes. But um, I'm downloading the Furbo app. So for you dog lovers out there, um, I, I recently uh, I have a little one who's uh, trying to adapt to life of being the only one in the household right now. 
Uh, so it's the Furbo is a dog camera that actually throughout the day I can watch and throw treats at the same time. So and now, so um, Monica, how much time do you spend during the day allegedly at work <laughs> watching? No, no, now, now, Brad, I cannot answer that right here. Our listeners might not need to you hear, brought hear it that. Up. Your I'm... Honor, Your Honor, the witness opened the door. Uh, she is full-time uh, devoted to the World Cup bid. In, so this is something she does on her lunch hour. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, you know, what it tells me, your dog has been barking for 15 minutes. Or, I mean, it's pretty amazing. It can do smoke detectors, carbon monoxide. So, uh, But I've enjoyed it, and it keeps her busy throughout the day. So I appreciate it. Yeah, mine, mine this week, while I'm waiting for the return of Yellowstone, is the Netflix show Longmire. And there is a there is a, a sports connection in that Lou Diamond Phillips is a co-star, and he was taught at UTA by Harold Kaufman's mother. <laughs> and, and, and of course, Harold is a former intern with both the Rangers and Mavericks and now the VP of Communications for the New York Mets. So I love, yeah. I love Harold's family and I love Lou Diamond Phillips. Uh, so, Brad, we're going to take you up on your recommendation. The father is a great tip for our, our listeners to, to, to look for that. Yep. Uh, I'm with you on the Malcolm Gladwell Revisionist History Pod. That, that's a good one. So thanks so much, Brad, for uh, for joining us today. This is a blast. And I know you're going to subscribe to the mic drop as, as one of your new uh, regular listens. We'd appreciate that. As soon as we get off, I'm going right to the app. All right. Thank you very much. And thanks thank to Andy Swift. Gordon Jago and Andrea Williams. This was really fun. On behalf of Monica Paul and the Dallas Sports Commission, thanks to the Mic Drop production team, Krista Amelia, Marcus Carr, and our visionary and showrunner, Tony Fay. Until next oh, time, thanks for listening. <laughs>